Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, in the past two weeks, I've been to churches in Alaska and Florida. And in both cases, I uh, gave a presentation to young people, college and high school people. It had to do with identity. Who do you trust for your identity? And I've spoken about this a little bit on the program here before, but I'd like to put all the little references that I've made to this question of identity into one program, and that's what we're going to do here today. How do you find your identity? Because that seems to be a crisis for people, it seems, in our culture today. People are struggling with their identity. And in each of these situations, up in Alaska and down in Florida, I showed a short video about college students at the University of Seattle being asked a question about the difference between men and women. Now, I wish you could see this, but since we're on radio and a podcast, you can't see it. But if you want to see the video, it's only a four-minute video. It's on the Family Policy Institute of Washington YouTube channel. The Family Policy Institute of Washington YouTube channel. I've played a video on this program of theirs before, of course, just the audio, on gender identity. This is a similar video. It's been viewed 1.5 million times. It's five years old. And uh, it seems like it was made yesterday because this identity issue, this transgender issue and the sexual issues, obviously, they've been going on for quite a while. But about five years ago, it really seemed to hit a tipping point where it almost became mainstream. And what I want to do is play this video for you here in just a minute. It's our friend from the Family Policy Institute of Washington that we've had on the program before, interviewing people at the University of Seattle. And he is going to explain, his name is Joseph Blackholm. He's going to explain in the very beginning what he's doing And then he is just a man on the street at the University of Seattle asking questions of these students. And as you listen, you will see them struggle to answer the question, is there a difference between men and women? Here is the audio from that four-minute video. Go ahead, play it, Jorge. In light of all the conversation about gender and identity, we began to wonder if there's even a difference between men and women anymore. We went to Seattle University to find out. I'm aware of the conversation going on in Washington State right now around kind of gender identity, gender expression issues, and the ability to access facilities on those grounds? Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, you know, there's, there's general neutral bathrooms in like all the dorms and stuff like that. I think that gender is fluid, so if you want to use a bathroom because that's a place and that's a space where you feel comfortable and safe in doing so, then I think that that's completely fine. I think that if whoever you think you are, if you're male or female, then that's the bathroom you should go into. I think if it doesn't really negatively affect anybody, then I think anyone should be able to choose what gender they uh, 
choose to identify as. People, no matter what their gender identification is, they should be allowed to use whatever restrooms they should they feel like they identify with. Is there a difference in your mind between men and women? Um, no, yes. I mean, um, possibly. In general, yes. But I don't know why I think that. Socially, currently, yes, there is. There is no need for that difference to exist, uh, scientifically and logically. If you think that you're a male, if you think that you're a female, that matters more than the biological difference. There's not much difference besides what society forces onto people. And how do you know the difference between men and women? By what people think they are. So you can't like judge someone just on like their looks. I don't think there's any one way to really distinguish between a man or a woman, and I don't think it's necessary. Uh, it's not always consistent. It has a high probability, like 98% of the time, I can get it right. There is some ambiguity. I think, yeah, there are ways to tell, but then again, you can always be wrong. What would you say I am? Just judging off of your looks, I would say that you're a male. I would probably assume a man, but then you never know. A male. Why would you say that? Based on how I look at you. <laughs> Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, probably. Do you think the difference between men and women matters for any reason? Uh, no, not really. I think most sociologists agree that uh, the concept of gender is more of a societal construct. I do think it matters somewhat, yeah. To me, no. I don't, I don't feel as if it matters to me because uh, at the end of the day, the person is just a person. No, I don't think it should matter. And the differences on a uh, social level are simply a product of a biased society. Then is there a reason to have those labels, male or female? I don't think so. I think that it's, again, a social construct of this binary that we're given at birth. There is kind of a difference, but at the same time, if someone wants to identify as one or both or as nothing, I also find that completely okay. And There may be nothing more self-evident in the natural universe than the fact that every animal species is divided into two halves, male and female. Yet the most intelligent of those species seems to be wrestling with whether male or female are actually real things. Have we discovered something new, or have we become too clever for our own good? Sometimes when I call a lady sir by accident, they get very offended. That was Joseph Backholm, ladies and gentlemen, interviewing students at Seattle University for the Family Policy Institute of Washington. And you can go to their YouTube channel and see that. Joseph is now with the Colson Center, by the way. But what did you think about the struggle that these students were having trying to say on one hand, men and women are different, but on the other hand, they're not different. They seem to want to have it both ways. And it reminded me of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, sorry, Romans chapter 1, actually, when he said, they suppressed the truth and their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They suppressed the truth. They know in their hearts there's a difference between men and women, not just in their hearts, but by their senses they can see there's a difference between men and women. It's a scientific biological fact, and yet they're struggling to admit that, 
And that's when their thinking becomes futile. In fact, the audiences in Alaska and Florida that I asked, you know, what, what's your reaction to this video? Many of them said, these, these young people just appear to be confused. Well, they're, they're not just confused. They know the truth and they're suppressing that they're holding it down in order to be politically correct, in order to ensure they don't offend anyone who might disagree, in order to go with the culture of the day, in order to satisfy the crowd, much like Pilate did to crucify Jesus, wanting to satisfy the crowd, he, he ordered Jesus to be crucified. Why are people doing this? Now, some of you may go, well, Frank, you're offending people by pointing this out. Let me mention to you something Thomas Sowell has said, and I've said it on this program before. This is a profound thought from Thomas Sowell, the economist who uh, is 91 years old this year, who said this, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, if you want to help people, tell them the truth. Of course, there's a difference between men and women. It's a biological fact. There's nothing more obvious, as Joseph said at the end of the video, than entire, the entire biological reality is divided into male and female. And yet the most intelligent of us are trying to deny that for some sort of political or existential or a personal purpose that we have because we want to create our own reality? How do we deal with this? We're going to deal with it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And check out our YouTube channel, Crossexamined as well. We're back in two minutes. What can we do to address the identity crisis we're having, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network and the podcast of the same name, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Thank you for putting positive reviews up at iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. It, help moves it, it helps move it up the chart so more people will see it. Now, we want to tell people the truth as Christians, and we want to do so, obviously, in a way that doesn't add offense. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time, and I don't know any of us that can pull that off as obviously as well as Jesus could, but we need to tell people the truth. That's what we need to do, and we need to do it in a way, hopefully, that they can take it on board. But before we get to that, well, actually, let me... Let's do a logic check first, because when people on that video that you heard, you just heard the audio for, were saying, well, gee, I don't know if men and women are different or not, or they are not different. Uh, there's no reason to say they're different. It's just in our minds, and you ought to agree with uh, whatever people ha have in their minds. You know, if, if a biological male says he's a woman, well, then he's a woman. If a biological woman says she's a male, then, well, she's a male. That's basically what many of them were saying. Let's do a little logic check. Because on one hand, you have people saying men and women are the same. And yet on the other hand, these same people are saying a man can transition into a woman. All right, let's, let's, let's look at this analytically. If men and women are the same, they can't transition between the two genders because there are no two genders. There's just 
They're the same. So how could you say that men and women are different? Or how can you say they're the same if on one hand you're claiming they're the same and on the other hand they can transition from one gender to another? The truth of the matter is that transgenderism presupposes fixed genders. Why? Because if I'm a male, biologically, but I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is to even recognize the difference. And then I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is to say, I want to transition from man to woman. So it presupposes fixed genders. Otherwise, you couldn't transition from one gender to another. You couldn't recognize there was a mismatch between your biology and psychology. So Obviously, men and women are not the same. In order to transition from one to another, they have to be different. Okay? Secondly, these same people will say diversity is our strength. And yet, on the other hand, they'll say we are all the same. Well, again, you can't have it both ways. If diversity is our strength, and yet we are all the same, there's no such thing as diversity. Because if we're all the same, there's nothing diverse about us. No, we're not all the same. And diversity is our strength in one sense, and it can be a weakness in another. You need unity to be strong, but sometimes you need diverse talents, say, on a team or in a country to be strong. But you don't necessarily need diverse uh, sexual orientations or diverse skin colors to be strong. I mean, they may be realities, but they're not necessarily adding any strength to your team, what adds strength to your team is diversity of talent, diversity of gift. I mean, think about, we've talked about this before too, think about going on an airplane ride, right? Or taking a flight from one, one, one city to another. You wanna know if the pilot is trained. You wanna know if the pilot has the ability to fly the plane. He might have that talent or that gift or that ability that you don't have. He's different from you. He has diversity you don't have. And that's important diversity to fly a plane. It's not important diversity that he has a different skin color than yours. It's not important diversity to say, oh, he has a different sexual orientation than you. I mean, you don't get on the plane going, gee, I'm sure glad this, this, this guy, this guy pilot likes other men because that really makes him more qualified to fly, fly the plane. No, you don't say that. You say, I'm glad he has better talents than me or more relevant talents to flying the plane than I do. So the kind of diversity we tend to emphasize in corporate culture or in corporations today or around our culture is the kind of diversity that doesn't really build any unity or get you anywhere necessarily. The kind of diversity that improves a team is the diversity by talent, the diversity by gift, the diversity by ability. And so sexual orientation doesn't add any of that. And yet these are the things that people are trying to emphasize or sexual identity doesn't add anything to that. But these are the kind of things that people are trying to say are good things. Now, they may be good things in certain respects, but many times they're neutral when it comes to whether or not you can perform a particular task in the workplace. By the way, one other thing that uh, we've mentioned before as well, but I want to put all this in one program and that is the LGBT community is a bit at odds with each other because if the L, or let me put it another way, if the T gets its way, the folks who identify as transgender who say there are no fixed genders, 
if the T has its way, there are no L people, G people, or B people. Because if there are no genders, you can't be lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And you can't engage in same-sex behavior or opposite-sex behavior. Because if there are no genders, there's none of that. There, <laughs> there's no same-sex behavior or opposite-sex behavior because there are no opposite sexes. Oh, they'll say there's a distinction between sex and gender. Well, not according to them, because on one hand, they'll say that. But on the other hand, they'll say, no, you must ignore biological sex. They'll say that you must merely treat me as my mind says I am. So if I'm a man and I say I'm a woman, you have to treat me as a woman. That's what you have to do. That's what they will say. So they're basically erasing biological sex for whatever their psychological sex is or their psychological gender, if they want to put it that way. They're not really drawing. A, they're not saying that both can coexist. They're saying you must ignore biology for my psychology. That's essentially what the movement is saying. At least the T in the movement are saying. The L, the G, and the B have a little bit of consternation with this because they are basically defined out of existence if there are no biological sexes. And by the way, the feminists aren't real fond of this either because if there are no genders or sexes, then there are no women so how can you be pro-woman if there are no women? See, these are the internal contradictions that this all brings forth. Now, let's try and cover three things as we go through the program here. And I hope I'll get to it all. If not, we'll pick it up next week. We're having an identity crisis. Why are we having an identity crisis? Well, look, in ancient culture, people found their identity from their family. If you were a man and your father was a potter, that meant you were a potter. If your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If you were a woman, generally you took care of the home. You followed what your family wanted to do. That was from ancient culture. That's where you got your identity. In modern culture, you don't get your identity necessarily from your family. You're told to get your identity by following your heart. Following your heart. A couple of months ago, we talked about this with John Stone Street. Uh, when we talked about... The, the, the proverb, which we'll get to a little bit later in the program, which says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. We're told to follow our heart. We're told to swim every stream, to climb every mountain, to uh, do whatever it takes to follow whatever is on our heart because our heart gives us our true identity. That's what modern culture says. Religious culture says you want to follow your identity or find your identity, I should say. You need to follow the rules follow the rules. Well, we'll unpack that a little bit later. None of those three views or methods of finding your identity are, I think, the right ways, but those are the three. Ancient culture, follow your family. Modern culture, follow your heart. Religious culture, follow the rules. I think, however, there's a new religion in America. There are no rules for this new religion of America. Um, the new religion in America is more revolving around meology than theology. Meology than theology. Whatever rules I make for myself, those are the ones I follow. There's no authority above me. I get to follow my heart anywhere I want to follow my heart. Now, if you think about this, this turns out to be a bad idea long term. Follow, following your heart blindly 
And uh, Tim Keller has talked about this quite a bit. Tim Keller, the former pastor from New York, whom you need to pray for, by the way. He has pancreatic cancer. We've mentioned that on the program before. Uh, In any event, Keller points this out that I think is very insightful. He says, oh, yeah, you may think you're following your heart. But in reality, you're not really following your heart either. What you're doing is you're following your culture. He says, think about somebody who, say, grew up a Viking a thousand thousand years ago. And let's say he has two things on his heart that are a bit conflicting. On one hand, he has this idea that he wants to dominate other people. He wants to use his power to crush other people. On the other hand, he has this this heart feeling that he has same-sex attraction. Now, which one of those is he going to follow in that culture? Oh, he's going to follow being a tough guy. He's not going to follow same-sex attraction. Why? Because the culture does not approve of same-sex behavior. So he's going to suppress the same-sex attraction he has, and he's going to follow his idea of being a Viking, being a tough guy. Now, fast forward to the 21st century. Same guy today in America. He has those same two conflicting heart uh, desires. On one hand, he wants to crush other people and win, win, win. On the other hand, he has same-sex attraction. Which one is he going to follow? Well, he's probably going to follow same-sex attraction and suppress his heart's desire to crush other people in order to advance himself because you're not supposed to do that. You're, not, you're supposed to be genteel. You're supposed to, you're supposed to treat people well. You're not supposed to crush other people. You're not supposed to be masculine. That's toxic masculinity in our culture. You're supposed to follow your heart to same-sex attraction. Now, notice, in both cases, whether you're, you're living a thousand years ago or you're living today, you're not really following your heart. You're following your culture because you have conflicting heart desires. And the one you're following is the one the culture approves of, right? That's what Keller's pointing out. He's saying that your heart, to follow your heart, can be conflicting. You might have conflicting heart desires. And so which one are you going to follow then? Oh, you're going to follow the one your culture tells you to follow. So you're not really following your heart. You're just following your culture. And he also points out the fact that not only do you have conflicting desires, But your desires change over time. And so if you follow your heart, say, into transgenderism as a teen, later on, you may regret that deeply. And we're going to pick that up right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention that I'm going to be at Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California, uh, on Sunday, August 22nd. I'm also uh, speaking to a women's ministry on August 20th and 21st. You'll have to contact the church for that. Uh, but go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on events, and you'll see it there. And I'll see you back here in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. How can we address the identity crisis? You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio network just prior to the break we were talking about how the culture tells you to follow your heart but in reality you're really following what your culture says uh when you have conflicting heart desires you're not really following your heart you're following your heart as long as the culture approves of it because if you want to be a real masculine person the culture may say no you can't do that 
Uh, so you got to find some something else to follow, right? Uh, Keller has also pointed out, we're talking something that Tim Keller has said in a, in a sermon that I uh, listened to not long ago, uh, where he points out the fact that your heart desires change over time. I mean, let's just do a little thought experiment, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's say when you were 15, and maybe some of you are 15 right now, if you look back at your 10-year-old self, you might go, you know, I was kind of an idiot when I was 10. And then when you hit 20, you look back on your 15-year-old self and you'll say the same thing. You know, I really didn't have it all together when I was 15. When you hit 25, you do the same thing about your 20-year-old self. You go, you know, my priorities weren't just right. I was kind of an idiot back when I was 20. You know what this means, according to Keller? You're always an idiot. No no matter no matter what time of life you're in. Now, thankfully, this slows down when you get older. You know, you're probably when you're 55, you don't really think your 50-year-old self was an idiot or had your priorities all wrong. Hopefully, you've got them established by then. But when you're younger, you change so quickly that your heart changes, your desires change. I mean, when you're a teenager, you know, you might want to be a professional baseball player or a rock star or a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, some some crazy idea that you have and very few people can accomplish. And when you get into real life, you go, yeah, that was just kind of a dream. Now I'm doing this. Okay. Uh, My priorities have changed. My desires have changed. Well, if your priorities and your desires change over time, it doesn't make sense to latch on to any one of them at any one given time and orient your entire future around it because you might change over a very short period of time. In fact, this is what has been discovered with regard to young people who have this idea that they want to be another gender. 80 to 90% of them, by the time they hit 18, have grown out of that. They go, no, that's not for me. And so much of that today is driven by social media. In fact, a study out of the UK found that there's been a 4,000% increase in young girls claiming to be trans over the past several years. Why do you think that has happened? There's not some new gene that has come into the uh, human population that is causing people to think this way. It's social media that's causing people to think this way. And what people are doing when they go from one particular stance on this to another particular stance on this issue, what they are doing is, as Keller puts it, they're changing cheerleaders. Let's just take Christianity and say conservative Christianity and say either liberal Christianity or uh, say being uh, same-sex affirming that same-sex behavior is a good thing. If you go from saying, I'm going to follow Jesus on this matter to say, I'm going to follow the culture on this matter, what's going to happen is that you're going to have different cheerleaders online. You're changing cheerleaders if you go from one to the other. If you're a conservative Christian and then you become quite liberal on this issue, Some people are going to abandon you and other people are going to cheer you on and go, oh, great, you're with us now. And maybe you might get more cheers from the culture, particularly you will from the culture, if you come out against Jesus and his apostles, against what the New Testament says, you're going to get more and more accolades. In fact, if anybody tries to come out and say, oh, what you're doing here is wrong, they're going to be shouted down and maybe even canceled. So you get all sorts of attention. You get more cheerleaders by going from one side to another on this issue. And the same is true if you go in the other direction. 
If you go from, say, being liberal on this issue politically or theologically to go to being conservative and agreeing with what the scriptures say, a lot of people are going to abandon you, but others are going to say, great, you're with us now. You're changing cheerleaders. Well, you can do this throughout the culture, throughout time. The better way to go forward is not to worry about what the cheerleaders in the culture are saying, but what the eternal Savior is saying. And the eternal Savior says, follow me. In fact, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He, he talks about whether or not you're seeking glory from God or you're seeking glory from the culture, from other people. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Yeah, are you seeking glory from one another or are you seeking glory from God? Because if you're seeking glory from the culture, it's, the culture's going to drag you far, far, far away from the truth. And that's going to be both painful to you eventually, psychologically, maybe not initially. You, may, you might feel good psychologically that you get so much affirmation in the beginning. But long term, it's a disaster. The only way to get true contentment and happiness is to go straight through truth, and Jesus is the truth. So, modern culture says follow your heart. That's a bad idea for many reasons. Uh, first of all, your heart conflicts. Second of all, your heart changes. And third of all, your heart can lead you astray dramatically. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to deal with the second question here. The first question was, why do we have an identity crisis? And that the reason we have it is because we're told to follow our heart rather than follow the truth. The second question I have is for people who say, do I have the right to live my truth? How do we respond to people who say, I have the right to live my truth? Now, at Bayside Church in Florida this past uh, Monday, I had the opportunity to speak to a full house of about 2,500 kids from 6th grade through 12th grade. So these are uh, young people. And I only had 30 minutes to talk to them. And I said, look, if there's one thing I want to talk to them about and get them to realize is that there is truth. So I went through what you've heard me talk about in this program before, the idea that there are many self-defeating statements out there. Someone says there's no truth. You're going to ask them the question, is that true? Someone says all truth is relative. You're going to ask them, is that a relative truth? Someone says there are no absolutes. You're going to ask, are you absolutely sure? Someone says you ought not judge. You're going to ask them, why are you judging me for judging? We've talked about this many times in the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's part, part of something we call the roadrunner tactic where you turn the claim on itself. So I, I went through that with these young people, and they, they were very much resonated with it because, unfortunately, we don't teach logic in school anymore. We don't teach these self-defeating statements or how to recognize self-defeating statements and then I asked them this statement, how would you respond to this? When someone says, I have, the live, or I have the right to live my truth, what would you say to somebody? Well, the first thing you want to say to them is, that's a moral assertion. I have the right to live my truth. Why do you think you have a right to do that? Where are you getting that right from? Because if there are, is no God, there are no rights. So it's a moral assertion, number one. Secondly, I have the right to live my truth. What does that mean? What does my truth mean? You might, might want to ask them that question. 
Or you can ask them this. If they say, I have the right to live my truth, this turns out to be self-defeating as well because what you can ask them, is that just your truth or is that the truth? No matter how they answer, they're going to be in trouble. Why? Because if they say, oh, it's just my truth, then it's not true for the rest of us. And they shouldn't force it on the rest of us because it's just their personal opinion. But if they say it's the truth, then it's not really just their truth. It's not really my truth, so to speak. It's the truth. And so you shouldn't even put the word my in front of it. The statement should read, I have the right to live the truth, to which everyone's going to agree. <laughs> okay? So the statement defeats itself. I have the right to live my truth. It's either just your truth or it's the truth. And if it's the truth, then it's the truth. It's not just your truth. So you might want to point that out to them that this is self-defeating as well. And I also gave them the analogy I've given here before. How do you know your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing an interception? Because the only way you could know that the touchdown was better than an interception is if you knew the purpose of the game. And the purpose of the game comes from outside the game itself. The rules are established before you ever play the game. Same thing is true in life. The rules are established before you ever start life. And there has to be an objective purpose to life to say there's a right or wrong way to live it. That can only be true if God exists. Otherwise, nobody has a right to anything. Nobody has a right to live any truth because there are no rights. No one has a right to same-sex marriage or natural marriage if there is no God. Nobody has a right to abortion or life if there is no God. Everything's just a matter of opinion. I also pointed out or asked them the question, what does it mean to submit? What does submit mean? Well, let's, let's break up the word. Submit. Submit really is submission. Now, what does mission mean? Mission means you have a goal, a purpose. And sub means you're putting yourself under that mission. We don't like this word, but much, much of our success is based on us submitting to some mission. On a team, if the, if the quarterback and the other players submit to the game plan, they'll have a better chance of winning than if they go out there and just do their own missions. If they, if they have their own individual missions and they don't submit their own individual missions to the team mission, they're probably not going to be successful as a team. The same thing is true in life. Are we going to follow our own mission or are we going to submit our mission to the ultimate mission? The ultimate mission comes from God himself. If there is no God, then there is no mission worth pursuing anyway because we're just going to die and become worm food. Ultimately, there's no ultimate purpose or there is no final purpose. Only if there's a God do any missions make sense eternally. And we ought to submit any one of our personal missions to the mission. So the question is, how are you going to live life? Are you going to live life on your own terms, which you have the ability to do because God has given you free will? Or are you going to submit any personal mission you might have and put it under the eternal mission that God has given us to know him and make him known to others, to build his kingdom? That's really the question. Your identity, as we'll see after the break, is not in your own mission. 
It's not in following the culture. It's not following the family. It's not following the rules. It's something far more eternal, far more glorious, far more lasting than that. And we'll discover that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. With me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, website crossexamined.org. And uh, check us also out on our app, two words in the app store, Cross Examined. We're back in just two minutes. How do you find your identity, your true identity, not your personal identity, but your real identity, not the one you think you want it to be, but your actual identity. That's what we're talking about here today so far we've covered why do we have an identity crisis and then do i have a right to live my truth we just got done talking about that now let's talk about what is the solution to all this to the identity crisis well it actually goes all the way back to genesis in genesis 1 god says god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them God created male and female, not just obviously in our species, but in other animals as well. Now, all the trouble began when the adversary, Satan, came in and said, did God really say? And that's what's going on today. Did God really say there are only men and women? Aren't there a number of genders? Can't you just invent your gender? Can't you just invent your identity? Can't you just follow your heart anywhere? Well, let me go back to Proverbs 4, because this verse, other than the gospel itself, might be the most important verse in the Bible for today's culture. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The culture says don't guard your heart, follow your heart. Well, If you reflect on this enough, you realize you can't follow your heart, at least not completely, at least not all the time, because if you do, you're going to wind up dead somewhere. If you follow your heart everywhere, you will not be alive very long. For any kind of success, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary, as C.S. Lewis pointed, pointed out. You can't follow your heart. Number one, your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Said said Jeremiah. Number two, as we mentioned already, your heart changes. Your heart is fickle. It's often built on emotion rather than facts. Uh, Number three, if you doubt this, let me give you a thought experiment that I've given you before, but I'll reemphasize here. Let's say before you're heading out one morning, let's say you're going to church one Sunday, you go into the bathroom, you look into the mirror, and uh, you're about to get ready, and you look at your in the mirror and you see that there's a sign attached to your head and it transmit your it transmits your every thought in big LED letters. You can't cover the sign. You can't take the sign off. Basically, wherever you go, people are going to be able to read everything you are thinking. Question, would you leave your bathroom that morning? No, I wouldn't. Why? Because your thoughts are evil. My thoughts are evil. Everything we think about when we meet somebody quite frequently is judgmental and negative. We're evaluating them. And we we would never want them to see what we're thinking. Because our hearts are bent toward evil. 
doesn't mean we're all evil. It means we're bent toward evil. It's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say mine. The kid already knows it. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to be selfish. He already is. You need to teach him to share. Same thing is true with a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 60-year-old or an 80-year-old. We're all naturally bent toward selfishness. We're not bent toward being selfless. So we have to guard our heart because if we get diverted, if we follow our heart everywhere, we're going to go down the wrong path. So we can't rely on our heart. We have to rely on the truth. In fact, if you followed your heart everywhere, you wouldn't be alive very long. It's been put this way, that the principled restraint of destructive desires is called civilization. And while emotion may, li- may make life fun, logic and reason makes life safe. You have to follow reason. Doesn't mean you can't have emotion. Emotion makes life fun. But you can't follow emotion at the expense of reason and morality. So how do you go about finding your identity? It's not about following your family, although you do respect your parents, quite obviously. It's not about following your heart. It's not about following the rules, although rules are important to life. The way you find your identity is you don't achieve it, you receive it. You receive Christ's gift. You're adopted into the family of God. You don't do anything other than accept the free gift. That's how you receive your identity. That's how you find it. It's already there waiting for you. The Apostle John, who wrote the biography we know as the Gospel of John, he said he has given you the right. God has given you the right to become a child of God. And here are the benefits of becoming a child of God. You are forgiven. You're loved. You're holy and blameless. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're adopted into the family of God. You're trophies of grace, said Ephesians 2. You're God's workmanship. You're reconciled to God, and now you're an ambassador for God. You're an ambassador for God in the biggest, greatest mission in all eternity, and that is to know God and to make him known as we build God's kingdom. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. What could be better than that? And here we are fiddling around with our identity having to do with what we want to do or what we want to think sexually. Not that sex isn't important. It is important, but it's not ultimate. And it can divert us. Sex is one of the most wonderful creations God has created. But it's so great that it can also be very dangerous. Because sex is like fire. You put fire in your fireplace, it's wonderful. It'll, war- it'll warm you. Any Get it anywhere else in your house, it'll burn your house down. Maybe not immediately, but over the long term, it will. And so, our identity is in Christ. Our identity is not in our vocation. It's not in our sexual orientation. It's not what we think our sex is or our gender is. It's not in our political party or our race. There's only one race, the human race. It's not in our ethnicity. It's not even in our family. I mean, as good as that is, our ultimate identity is in Christ. So you can go changing cheerleaders all you want online. And that's going to that's gonna toss you to and fro, as James says in his, in his 
little epistle, the book of James. You're going to be tossed to and fro from one thing to the next as the culture changes. Sometimes you're going to be hip, other times you're not. And the culture doesn't determine where you arrive eternally. What you do with what Christ has done determines where you're going to arrive eternally and whether or not you're going to have contentment here or not. Now, there's one objection we need to deal with, and this is one of the objections I dealt with in these sessions I did in Alaska and in, in Florida. The objection is, well, Frank, Frank, don't, if you really want to love people, don't you need to approve of what they, of what they think they are gender-wise? Doesn't love require approval? We've done a whole podcast on this, a whole TV show on this. Here's the short answer. No. No. A thousand times no. Love does not require approval. Every parent knows that if you approve of everything your kid wants to do, you're not loving, you're unloving. You have to stand in the way of things that are going to hurt your child or hurt others. You don't approve of those things. You approve of them as a person. But you don't approve of what they do because what they may do may be against God's will, may hurt people. In fact, if you truly love people, as Paul says, you will protect them. In fact, Paul says, love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always perseveres. This is from the section of 1 Corinthians 13 that people read at their wedding but never obey. <laughs> Love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always perseveres. In fact, you know, Jesus gave us one new command. He says, I just have one new command for you. What is it? Love each other as I have loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. How did Jesus love us? He sacrificed himself for us. That's how he loved us. He sacrificed himself for us. That's love. You sacrifice yourself for the other person. So if you truly love the other person, you will sacrifice in order to help that other person. And how do you help people? You tell them the truth. Let me go back to what Saul said. He nails it. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you do that, you're actually sacrificing yourself for them. Why? Why don't we tell them the truth now? Because we don't want the blowback that we're going to get from them if they disagree with us. So what do we do? We tell them what they want to hear. And if we tell them what, we, what they want to hear, we're helping ourselves, as Saul said. We're sacrificing them when we tell them what they want to hear. We're sacrificing ourselves when they tell them what they need to hear, when we tell them the truth. So as Christians, ladies and gentlemen, and admittedly, this is hard to do. I'm no pro at it. But admittedly, we have to tell people the truth even when they disagree. And we have to do it with as much grace as we can. In fact, you might say to someone, if you thought I was going down the wrong road, would you tell me? Would you, would you love me enough to tell me? Of course, they should say yes. Well, that's all I'm doing here for you. In fact, they think you're going down the wrong road when you oppose what they want to do, how they want to identify. They're, <laughs> they're coming back at you, telling you what they think you need to hear. Well, you're telling them the same thing. Here's what you need to hear, and here's why. Here's the evidence for it. So how do you find your identity? You don't achieve it. If, by, by the way, if you tried to achieve it, you're never going to be successful. 
Because if you try and achieve it according to what the culture wants you to do, that's always going to change. And if you try to achieve it based on some sort of performance, there's always somebody that can do it better than you. No, you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. That takes all the pressure off you. Following Jesus makes life easier in the sense you know what you ought to do. Doesn't mean you can always do it, but you have a track to run on. And it's a track that you can run on right into eternity by accepting what Christ has done for you. So... The identity crisis, ladies and gentlemen, can be achieved if your heart is open to what Christ has done. Don't try and achieve your identity or don't try and follow your heart into some ditch that the culture is going to try and lead you in. Follow the truth right to the foot of the cross. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. I got a couple of events in California coming up in the ensuing weeks. Check out our website, crossexamine.org for the calendar. And Lord willing, I'll see you here next week. God bless.